Hello. Welcome to Therapy Talks. I'm Chris Place and I'm a psychotherapist. In this podcast series, I'll be chatting with different people about their experiences, their lives, their loves, their challenges, and what helps them find their way forward in the world. We'll also chat to different therapists and researchers about the models of therapy that they use to get a better understanding of these different approaches and how these different approaches might be useful at different times for different people. Hopefully it'll be lots of human connection and conversation about the challenges we have and also about what helps us get through. I hope it's going to be fun, enjoyable, entertaining, engaging, informative. Anyway, let's go on the journey. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Therapy Talks. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined this week by uh, the brilliant Mark Hogan. Mark is, um, Mark is, he's a corp, I suppose, an executive coach, um, a coaching psychologist. Uh, he's somebody I discovered on LinkedIn, actually, in the midst of the pandemic, when he had set himself an unenviable task of uh, putting up a, a video post every day for 365 days. Um, and I followed his endurance and I had such respect for it. And as the podcast was going on, I was following on LinkedIn. I said, I really want to get this man onto the podcast. I think he's got a, an incredible enthusiasm for what he does. And, and I'm really looking forward to the chat. Mark, welcome. Hello. Yeah, how are you today? I, I, I just off air, you had some dog trouble. Yes, I, 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 I'm in the lovely position of, you know, working for myself and working from home, which allows you to walk the dog whenever you so wish. But I have a, a five-year-old or four-and-a-half-year-old rescue Dalmatian, or a damnation, as we call it. And um, she occasionally, just occasionally, decides that um, she wants to do a different walk than I do and had decided that no she wasn't going to come back when I wanted her to she was going to go and explore so um uh, the hills have been alive with the sound of my shouting and swearing for the last <laughs> 40 minutes or so there was a very funny thing uh I think it was I don't know I every, everything is pre and post pandemic you know but mm-hmm. I remember there was a video going around the place that it was of, of uh somebody was out walking in in somewhere in fancy place in the UK just nice you know, and there was a guy walking the dog. And next minute, you see these deer. And next minute, you see this dog belting along. And this guy, you know, cursing and shouting and roaring. So I know the video. It's, it was in Windsor Great Park. Yeah. And it was Fenton. He was shouting Fenton. Fenton. That was Fenton. 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 <laughs> Which is a very middle class name for a dog. Uh, <laughs> uh, but... I do remember that. So it reminded me of that. So, Mark, come here. there's loads of questions to ask you. But so you were an executive coach. That's yeah. Kind of, so yeah. you work with organizations and individuals and yeah, teams within within organizations. That's my my main interest. And it, it kind of comes from my I mean, I'm an executive coach and a corporate speaker. So it, it kind of flows from all the corporate speaking I do and the coaching kind of builds on yeah on, on that stuff in the background. So the core and the corporate speaking would that would be going to events, would it be like going yeah, to absolutely. conferences so, or whatever? So, so you know, I would it uh I won't say who with a with a with a bank last week, and you know they had fifty people in the room, and they were leaders, and they wanted to learn about storytelling. So, oh yeah, wow, I did a, a speech about storytelling, and then, you know, there's other times I do, you know, I can, you know, it can be small groups, it can be thirty people, or it can be, you know, I've done two thousand people. It depends wow. on the events and where it is and 
what yeah. they want. So just it's a, it's yeah, it's a funny old game. It, I, I'm always fascinated by it. I think it's such a skill, isn't it? I mean, I, I mean, there's a skill to stand up and communicate. And I think I did see one of yours, you were talking about like, what is, how do we communicate? Do you know? And that idea of, and and I was watching some of your um, your video reels and you you do, there's something about you, when you come out onto the stage, there's a sense of it's, it's there's energy, there's connection, you're meeting people, you're, cracking jokes you're moving in you're moving from one arena to another yeah uh, it's a real skill yeah i i, I mean and i you know it, it's i mean i've been doing it now well since before 2008 you know so over 15 years but i fell into it in in the sense of you know i was i mean i you know you you might we got into it basically i was i was you know i was at work doing speeches and things you know I was in sales so I, I naturally yeah. was okay with that and then basically I was better pound that I couldn't become a stand-up comic at the Edinburgh Festival and that that was the you know so did, you, did you 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 did become a stand-up comic did you at yeah the- yes yeah 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 well I mean what stand-up comic sounds rather grand what I did what I was better pound that I couldn't do a one-month stand-up show at the Edinburgh Festival which is the world's biggest absolutely it's amazing I've been there it's incredible yeah, right? yeah amazing um and um the guy gave me a year to do it and bet me a pound and back in 2008 a pound was worth a lot of money so um i did it i i, I went and learned how to do stand up and did a, a one hour one man show for the full 21 nights or whatever it was wow at the festival in in 2009 and that that experience has taken me around the world speaking to companies large and small uh, you know, it must have given, must have given you a huge confidence to, you know, because to stand up, like I have a, have a mate of mine who's a concertina player, and he's the very first guest I ever interviewed on the podcast, Cormac Begley, right? And yeah. he's, and me and Cormac, you know, we would have a, a humorous, we have a similar humor, you know, yeah. and he's always said, you know, you have to do stand up comedy, and he's always saying to me, and I'd love to do it, I'd love to have yeah. the guts to go out and do it. So when I've discovered that you did it, I was going. That's brilliant. Like that's <laughs> and and what it can give you, you know, in terms yeah. of your, you know, to be able to stand up where there might be two people at the at the show or twenty people or whatever, and you do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I, I I was very lucky. I, as I said, I I, you know, I started to tell, you know, bet this pound. I started to talk to people and say I've been better pound, and uh, people would be like, oh, you know. Die up there! I die. I wouldn't want to do that. I die. That'd be the worst thing in the world. Die, and and then, um, other people start to to say, "Well, you know, Mark, you know, you look funny." Like that's some kind of compliment. Uh, 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 and but you know, but but I I didn't know what to do, and I ended up going into a pub one night, and I hadn't told you know I told I spoke to the people, and they said, "You'll never be ready. No one's ever ready in a year. It takes years to become a stand up." Mm. You know, average three, four, three, five, eight years before people start doing a one-hour one-man show at Edinburgh. Mm. And, I, and and you know, I, I'm an Irishman. Uh, you know, so I do what any Irishman does in a situation. He doesn't know what to do. He goes to the pub, and um, you know, I was telling a barman, I was telling an Australian barman about, you know, we bet this pound and got a year, and he said, you know, there's a course. I went, you know, course in London, probably a Muse Moose course run by a guy called Logan Murray, who's quite a well-known teacher of comedy. I mean, mm. I didn't know this at the time, you know, but he's like the Jedi master of comedy. Uh, and, you know, I was in a in a dodgy pub in Camden. Um, uh, 
you know, downstairs. Uh, I can't remember the name of the pub now, but uh, 30 of us were in that room, you know, and they were all, you know, I was, I don't know why I would have been, I was 33, 34. Everyone else was kind of in their, you know, early 20s and they're all excited and, you know, they're going to become comedy rock stars and everything else. And I'm, and I'm like, I just want to get through this. Um, and, and, you know, that was a 12-week course that that set me up to, 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 um, to do to to do a show, you know, and that was that was the beginning of the journey. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's just amazing, and and the confidence, and then the, yeah, I just find the whole thing. I was as you were saying, I was like, you know, mentally writing a moose bush. Who's that guy? Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Does, he do online, does he do online courses? Um. So why you 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 said you fell into coaching, and I I want to get into the specifics of your job soon, but like. You, you know what were you do what was your what was your like what was your life like before that like what what we what were thinking? yeah well so I suppose it's it's probably worth worth going back a little bit so I'm I'm originally from Bray in County Wicklow mm. um uh, born in 1974 so you're two years younger than me yeah well so so you look better on it than I am, which is, uh, <laughs> you, no, no. Which, is which is, you know, just, just the way life is sometimes. But um, so my my parents decided in their wisdom to emigrate in 1987. So I was really? 13 or 13 as I so was. You, but you were, so you were, you were, you were, you were living in Ireland. Your life was in Bray, yeah. you in school, you know, yeah, school, age, yeah. Christian brother school, all those things, you know, yeah. doing well. Yeah. Top of the class, yeah, top of the class, but you know, yeah, upset, yeah. all that stuff, you know, you know, because fam family all around, you know, would walk to school. Yeah, very so, local, very, very local. Very, you know, everyone knew who I was. I knew everyone was grew up on the state, all my on the same house, all my life. You know, so so yeah, so a very normal, you know, life. My dad's a, a carpenter, and my mum was a housewife. Mm. Uh, um, and then uh, they decided to emigrate to the UK in 87. So this is before the Celtic Tiger and all mm. those things. We moved to a place called Hemel Hempstead, um, where dreams go to die. And... Um... Where? where... <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like, it's like what they say about God, you know, they used to say that the graveyard of ambition. I mean, and that's not true, but, no. but that idea, you know, that... and where, where, where is that in the, is that in London? Is that? Yeah, that, so that's basically 25 miles outside London. Okay, you know, yeah. It's so it's in the... Suburb town, around the M25. Okay, yeah. And it's, you know, it, it, it's, it, I'm, I'm doing it at this justice. It's very nice, but but it's in Hertfordshire, but it's like everything, you know, it's not, I grew up in Bray by the sea and there's mountains behind me and, you know, and this place is, you know, you know, they've got a couple of hills, it's flat, you know. Yeah. And also it's, you know, Hemel Hempstead and Decorum is what, it's got about 120,000 people living in it. You know, I come from a town of 10,000 people. Yeah. So, yeah. so it's a massive change, a massive cultural or certain shock. Yeah. And, it's, yeah. and it's in the height of the IRA bombing campaign you know for the want yeah. of a better word so i'm 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 shut it up. It was in the 80s it was you, you were in the midst of it. it there was a lot of i i remember actually going to so my family would be from the uk and like i was born in england but we moved over to uh, when i was a baby yeah, so I, yeah yeah so I, I was born in kent in tumbra yeah margate again but we lived yeah, in, no, yeah, in no, tumbridge wells and so my mom and dad moved over to ireland in 72 
And but I remember going back in the 80s to visit my uncle aunt and people say, like, are you in the IRA? And there was this kind of like energy about, you know, you're you're from you're in the IRA. And I was going, no, no, I'm well, I'm whatever age I was, 12 or something like that. I'm not in the IRA. Uh, well, that, that's exactly my experience. You know, the, 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 so I was, so I went through a school of 300 kids to 800 kids, an all boys school yeah. to a, a mixed school. Um, uh, I was the first, first generation Irish kid in the school, as in, in that, you know, in that decade or whatever, yeah. no one else. So I arrived in the second year, like I arrived late, you know, we, we came in the September. So I didn't start the year with everyone else. So I arrived the month, you know, mm. the end of the month. Um, there were pet. There were kids whose parents were Irish at the school, obviously, you know, but they were but they had been born in England, you know. Yeah, so they were they were literally they were Englishes, they, you know. They, were, they, were they, yeah, they had their English accents. And yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they had you know there was, you know, they had the Irish names, you know, the Hawkins or whatever. But you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they were they were you know they were born and bred in England and and. and so I had obviously a strong Irish accent. I, this was I was in my second year. I was I was thirteen, as I said, which they can't found to there is because no, they they thirteen. <laughs> I can't say it any other way. Thirteen. Well, exactly. Thirteen. Um, 13 and, yeah. And and you know the first thing people start asking me was 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 were things like, "Have you come because of the war?" You know, <laughs> you're kind of going, "What? What? What do you?" What are you talking about? You know, you know, I have no idea what, what, what are you, I have no, you know, and, you know, the IRA and stuff. And I'm going, I hate to burst your bubble, but there's more bombs going off here than there ever was where I've ever grown up. You know, I've never, you know. Yeah. Well, it didn't that, really affect, it certainly you. never affected me. It, it, no. you know, I never experienced, but it, yeah, yeah, but there was certainly, yeah. yeah. And I mean, I, I, my, my family grew up in a little town called Greystones, you know. And, oh, yeah, lovely. Yeah, well, lovely, and, and you know, and, and of course, you know the same like beyond the pale, and the pale was obviously the bit of the of 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 Ireland that England controlled historically, mm. um, and you know, so there was a huge Protestant Church of Ireland uh, mm. population, you know, where I grew up in 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 Bray, and and, and the, you know, the biggest church would have been the Church of Ireland Protestant Church. So I didn't have no any, I didn't have any, you know, we didn't think about those things, didn't you know, mm. never had discussions mm. like that. He just walking along and that was Jim and that was Pete and that was William or whoever and you, you never you know you never never entered your head mm -hmm. but when you move to England it becomes a thing it becomes yeah, a significant yeah. thing yeah yeah oh yeah absolutely the being so I felt very much the other you know I was going to yeah. say yeah there's a very much of an other ring isn't there like you, you, oh, you, yeah I mean the fact is you didn't even start at the beginning of the year you, you you're, you're not even you're, you're sort of coming midway through the term you're, and your people have all got established roots, and you're you're the blow in, and you are yeah, the absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that was, and that was, and and look, and you know, all my, you know, I'm going, I'm fifty, as I said, next June, and I'm going to going to spend the weekend in Dublin with all my friends who are who are English, you know, <laughs> so you know, um, uh, and so there, I have very lovely English friends, but but when you come into a school. Mm like that where there is people who you know who, who who you know in the height of the ra yeah campaign and you know i i took my beatings you know it, it wasn't so there was would you oh, have been yeah. would you have been bullied in that regard uh, or? Uh, not so not so much bullied yeah. in, in the sense of not but like as in because i would always stand up for myself so i never yeah. I was 
bullied. No yeah, one was being I, I understand bullied, you but, but you I was certainly... but I was physically attacked yeah. on on you know that that's a false front tooth. You know, I've, okay. I've taken I've taken I've taken my knocks over yeah, you know, know at the start. Um, so that was that was a that was you know that was a fairly tough thing. You know, you t- you had to toughen up fairly quickly at that point because. Yeah. You know, and, and I mean, I just to give you the the other side to it, which is is funny. My sister is three years younger than me, um, Caroline, and she went to the junior school. So she was in the she was placed in the junior school. I was obviously in the in the senior school. You know, we were just in that moment. Yeah. And um, she looks a little bit different to me, but but she had it, you know. But so she would have been I don't know ten, and I was thirteen. But she um. She immediately lost her Irish accent. So her her strategy for dealing with it was to become as in, you know, to sound yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I'm not saying she did that deliberately or unconsciously, but you know, something, you know, so yeah. to the point basically, what I'm trying to say is is that my my you know, when she started school, no one knew or believed we were related. Yeah. Because I had this broad Irish, Irish yeah. accent, which I was determined not to turn. Well, I don't know, not consciously, but I wasn't going to lose my accent. Yeah. I was concerned. That's how I spoke. While Caroline absolutely sounded like she had been born and raised yeah. in Hertfordshire. Um, and no one, no one would have, have guessed. When Daniel De Lewis uh, became an actor, you know, he realized to fit in, he needed to change his voice. To he so he had to develop this very, you know, so he had to change his accent. You know, it's funny. It's funny. I I I was when I was in school, like so. I remember, you know, it being was in like say second year and in, in secondary or whatever. It was primary and sec- secondary really, where where the kind of differences are, and people would be accusing me and my, the, you know, eight hundred years of oppression was all my fault. <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I, so I used to cu- uh, quote Winston Churchill at them just to piss them off. Oh, we'll fight them on the streets. We'll fight them on the beaches. You know, and I was like, I have no clue about this stuff. I'm not in any way. I'm not anything. I just, yeah. you know. So it was the and and I had the Irish accent. I mean, I was only six months when I came over. Yeah. But no, you're a Protestant. You're a Brit Protestant. So there you go. Um, so it was the opposite in a way. And I was in Ireland and I was being told, you and your people and 800 years of oppression. And I was going, I'm 12. <laughs> it's a, it's a thing. I've done nothing. <laughs> I mean, you know, and I'm, I, uh, kind of, I know we've probably gone slightly off. Yeah. Off, but, but you know, I, I'm married to a, 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 an English girl, a British person, mm. and she's lovely. And, you know, I proposed to her in Ireland and all those mm. things. But we went to, Perry a few years ago and um we went with a, a group of another group of English people who love that bit of the world and and mm. um uh we're at a petrol station and I've got a hire car and, and I love Kimberly Mikado and I said to Kirsty, can you go in and buy me some Kimberly Mikado? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If anyone's listening, we all know what you know Kimberly Mikado biscuits are, are uh, an Irish delicacy. And um they come in this elite version now, which is covered in chocolate. That's right. Yeah. Very no, so beyond very fancy. But of course, they have other elite biscuits as well that look very similar in the yes. same. Yeah. So he goes into the petrol station uh, in Kerry somewhere. I don't know where we are. And um, comes back out. She goes, I've got you biscuits. I'm looking. Okay. Uh, you, 
you bought your tea cakes, you bought the wrong, you bought the wrong thing. Don't yeah. worry. I'll I'll go in and, and, and change them over. So um, I go in and there's this little Irish woman. Uh, she's not behind till she's sweeping the floor. Mm. And I say, oh, um, you know, she kind of not even looking at me. I said, oh, my wife's just been in. She's she she's meant to have bought me some Kimberly Elise, and she's she's bought the wrong, you know, the, the, you know, she just came in. She went what. The English one, and she didn't even look up. And I went, "Yeah, the English one." And she kind of just let me then go up and go off and get the biscuits. So forever since then, Kirsty has been known as the English one yeah, uh, amongst all my friends and, and family. And I mean, the woman didn't mean anything by it. She, you know, no, she wasn't. She wasn't. It was just. No. It was. Yeah. It was just. But it was just a beautiful moment. I think it kind of reminded me a lot of my own growing up where I was yeah. the Irish so one. You, you were the Irish one. And and and, yeah. and so you you go through the schooling system and you you yes. eventually kind of do you acclimatize? Do you get do you get Yeah, into- well yeah, I mean it's an interesting, very interesting. I mean yes, I have I have very good 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 English friends, you know, made got a lot of good friends, you know, Ed, Ben and Mark are, you know, friends that I've you know, knew since I was 14, you know, so yeah. You know, so absolutely. Um, I think. Um, but we then, you know, I think that. But it wasn't. It wasn't great for you know uh, uh, the family in the sense of you know we came there was you know there was a we bought a house in England, a lot very expensive. Then there was this huge huge economic recession in the UK. Mm-hmm. Interest rates went up to you know similar to mm-hmm. up to fifteen percent. You know, the parents mm-hmm. lost the house. Ended up. Um, Breaking up, getting divorced, you know, the, the, the whole thing. Family breaking, yes, yeah. the whole thing was a whole because yeah. no, we had no support. We had, no, but we were in in England, you know, and it wasn't like now we could get back, you know, get back for twenty quid on Ryanair. It was, you know, all it was expensive and expensive phone calls. So it did. So acclimatized in the sense of yes, we got used to living in England, but 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 basically we ended up kind of being trapped because of the economic situation that there was yeah. no way we were ever going back we could afford to go back and my parents so, ended up and all that other stuff so when your parents split up or whatever and all of yeah. that changed you're then you're not going back there, there isn't a there isn't you know this isn't a, no longer a temporary measure yeah yeah that's it you're done you're kind of because because a you know you're going through your gcse's and you know 16 yeah. 17 you've, you've, you've forgotten all your irish you can't you can't get enough can't get a leaving cert without Irish back then you, you know you're in the you're in the English school system you, you know it's you, you, you put you put so much money and energy and effort into this thing you know you've just about kept the house you, you know you, yeah, yeah. You, you've, dug, you've dug a hole and there's no way you got to keep digging there's no there's no way you can you can get out you know it's uh yeah. um and, and and so that was it so so we were here I mean and and uh you know, but but the great side of that is obviously, you know, free free university education, all those other things that are the benefits of we're living in the UK at the time, uh, and you know, so I went went through the through the. What did what UK did you what did you go on and do? What did you study in university then? What was your? Well, I did, well, I, so I did business and economics, uh, yeah. not from my own behest, purely because my parents were like, "Well, you got to have a proper degree. You can't, you know, read yeah, much." English or, or you know psychology or or you know things I was interested in, but but that wasn't you know that they yeah. were kind of looking at me going well no you've got to do a proper 
you know, a problem. Yeah, you got to do something that's that's we recognize recognize. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, ultimately, my dad's a bit. I mean, he's great and he recognizes education, but you know, that's the world he knows. He knows carpentry and, and well, building. Was, you, you know, know you if I said I want to do philosophy or something, he'd look at me. You know, you do, you do business bad. science or whatever. You know, like yeah. it was quite sort of polarized, wasn't it? Into bang, bang, yeah. bang, or medicine if you're whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wasn't that bright. I mean, I you know, I barely. I mean. You know, I, I didn't I didn't do brilliantly academically. You know, I went from being very top set in everything in, in, in Ireland to just academically because because it was hard. I mean, it was hard. You know, my parents. It's, it's a different hard. system as well, isn't it? It's, it's And it's a transition. And there's a lot of other factors involved, you know, that are, you know, you're dealing with um, this sort of emotional and psychological transitions or something. That's going to have an impact, I think, academically. Anyway. Absolutely. Oh, well, absolutely. You know, and that was exactly what was going on, you know, absolutely. You know, and 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 so that so that I mean, it's just really interesting. So you you follow a certain route. So obviously, business and economics. Um, I I did business at the start in my first few years as business as well. No interest at all in business. No disrespect to business. No, no, no absolutely but, not. No, I mean, literally, would but I but I joined the drama society and discovered acting and all of these different things. You know, so, um, that and I suppose that, that does that take you into a career then? Yeah, I mean, so. So yeah, so I was always so I was in, I was always interested in psychology. Like I yeah, so that was always there in the background. Was psychology always was there. always there. Okay. Yeah, always there. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of that was just trying to make sense of this own. crazy work of my own experience. Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, and I I want to really ask you sort of in terms of we we, we talked just before we pressed record, and we were talking. I was saying you know about one of the things I'd noticed was some of your um. I'm probably jumping ahead, but I'll yeah, come yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. Is is the, the you know? So if you look at sort of models of psychotherapy, say psychodynamic psychotherapy. Yes. So psychodynamic psychotherapy for people who aren't familiar is, it's I suppose started with Freud, but it moved yeah. with the object relation. So it's the idea that our early childhood experiences and um, form a template for our sort of future relationships, and yeah. often that's on unco- that's unconscious. We're not aware of it. We've no memory of it, but it plays out. And yeah. you were saying that that model. And certainly the masters you did uh, was very much focused on that psychodynamic way of thinking. So applying those models to the organization. Absolutely. And and that, that really started though to your own family, really. Yeah. Your role in the family, how the impact of your family life and the movement and the change from Ireland to the, to the UK. Absolutely. That that unconsciously that's forming a template. It's forming. Uh, Yeah. And, 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 you know, so I, and and I wasn't aware of, you know, Freud and and and, and psychodynamic therapy and, and and all those things, you know, and child attachment and all the yeah. areas that, that look at that stuff. And you know, I, I, so you know, the first I think the first thing person I came across was Paul McKenna of all people. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. And I remember seeing him at seventeen, eighteen, at at at. at and uh, with my girlfriend at the time, at the local... Um... Paul McKenna was the hypnotist. Was hypno- hypnotism, yeah, the hypnotist. Yeah, hypnotism. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was a crack of thunder there, just as I said that. It was very... Yeah, I don't that's know, pretty freaky. Very, very, very... It was, yeah, very good. Um, yeah. And it wasn't... But there was a bit like a flash of lightning at that point. You know, I was like, oh, that's really interesting. And, and I, I I, started buying books uh, on on self-hypnosis. So we were... So I, I said, I went to... So was, at 19, I saw Paul McKenna with my girlfriend and I thought this hypnotism thing seems really interesting. And I started buying some books in a, in a bookshop in Camden and learned how to hypnotize myself, you know, to relax. And I mean, it's basically mindfulness, but by another 
another phrase. And then, rather naively, uh, I thought, well, if if I'm recording my voice and hypnotizing myself, if I just speak to someone, mm. will I be able to hypnotize them? And I had some friends who were up for that. And naively at 19, 20, I learned how to hypnotize people. Wow. Um, and it became a, a, a party piece in some respects, you know, do a party, you know, whatever. Um, um, and that got me really interested in things like NLP and neural okay, language yeah, programming yeah. time. Darren like Brown's kind of yeah, and all that yeah, stuff, yeah, and, yeah. And, and 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 so that was fascinating. But but I think what I I came, you know, and that was very. I mean, and that's the, the and I don't wish to speak ill of of, of NLP or, or or that that thing, but there was it, it had a, a slight marketing problem that it claimed it could cure everything under the sun in five minutes. Mm. Uh, and what I found as I started to, you know, I went and did an NL neurolinguistic programming master practitioner and practitioner and all that stuff. And so I was still in my twenties at that point. And but what I found was it just the claims were too grandiose. Yeah. You know, it, it, it was it wasn't you know, and actually NLP isn't that different to CBT really no, in terms I, of its thing, but it just didn't have the evidence and it, it made big bold claims that it couldn't, I think this is up. the problem in the, with anything that pro promises, you know, and, and there are often different models of therapy to get developed and they'll make these bail pull claims. But unless we can back them with evidence that says, yes, we've that. done this in a peer reviewed journal, then we're, we're kind of, we're, 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 we can just make up anything. And so. Well, it's woo woo at that point then, isn't it? If we don't have the evidence. We're going somewhere else then. And I mean, obviously it's one of the, the criticisms when I did my psychology of psychoanalysis was that it's not evidence-based and now, obviously, psychodynamic theory, I think, has come a long way since the, the, the early and Freudian yes. days. And there's a lot more research being done and, and a lot more people like, you know, Jonathan Shelder in, in, in the States and that doing an awful lot more around that. But but I suppose what, what I, I think um, that idea of NLP and those things and, and hypnotism and we can do this, this and this and don't and, and the trouble. And I suppose when we have these experiences unconsciously or whatever from childhood, they are long. They, those processes can take take a long time to change, or, or, or and, and they're not always that. You know, no, the tracks have been laid over. You know that 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 furrow. You know that way of thinking, that way of being. You know, has been laid, laid down, down. That track from, laid from, down from, from your from, you know, from, the moments, yeah. mo from the moments you could you you, you start which well, from the very beginnings. And I mean, it's going to be very hard. So, so we want we want change quickly. That's yeah. one of the challenges. Of course, very, yeah, it's lovely. You know? yeah, it's lovely. I mean, that's the thing. And and this is the society we live in, you know, everyone wants change, everyone wants it quickly. And mm -hmm. so I started, and that was the thing. So what so what I found with things like NLP and CBT, not C CBT, NLP and, and, and hypnosis was was that it did work for some people, yeah. but it was inconsistent. Mm -hmm. It was inconsistent. And and you know, I was working now, so I, I was still in a in a in a sales job i worked at uh, for gc marconi and then i worked in the pharmaceutical industry um so i did defense i did worked in the defense industry and then i worked in drugs a little bit of time working for british american tobacco so i've done weapons fags and drugs um <laughs> uh, 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 the full range of all the good stuff. 
all the good I've stuff. Got good, um, I've got a good moral compass. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Um, and, 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 well, and, you know, and that's the point. Eventually your soul can, can't take yeah, that anymore. No, I get that. You, have to, you, have to, you have to get out and yeah, decide, yeah. no, I need, to, I need to do something better. Um, but, but, um, but, so, but so what I'm trying to say is that, um, so very much in the cognitive school of, of interest in, in therapy, and obviously with Bet the Pound became a stand-up, and then started a career as a, as a corporate speaker. So really, that, that so, all of these things were, but if you look at all of the, the influences from thinking psychologically, even, you know, doing the, hip, the hypnosis, practicing on your mates, NLP, yeah. you're learning, yeah. you're, you're, you're sort of integrating all these ideas of yes. learning to communicate then in a way. And then you, you get bet this pound, you do the Edinburgh Fringe in 2008. Yeah. And it's almost like, yeah. And you've been working in sales, so you've been working as part of teams and all of that kind of stuff. So, kind of, so all the kind of stagecraft yeah, 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 yeah. stuff. They've all been formed and allying and, and coming together to bring you somewhere. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and, and, and it's, I think that, you know, it's, it, you know, I was, I've just come back from, from Wicklow. I was, I was in Wicklow for the weekend to see my dad. It was his 75th birthday. And, How old is um, that? 75. Five, 75. I, I so, saw yeah. a picture you put up with your dad and yourself and I was going, how is he 75? Like that's, he's very, yeah. like very. Uh, well, he, he's, he's incredibly fit. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and uh, he, would you believe, I mean, he was a 50 a day smoker until 10 years wow. ago. Wow. Uh, but he is, but his, his levels of fitness are phenomenal for a man his age. He ran up that mountain that we, you know, when I'm, all right, that's you know, I'm 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 tippy-toeing and careful and you know making sure that I'm not going to turn an ankle and you know and, uh, and he's like yeah. um um yeah he's dragged me up some dragged me up some bogs and mountains and all kinds. Uh, right, I think yes. So basically, uh, we're back now. We're recording again. Um, you're listening to this now and wondering what am I talking about? Well. Uh, we've had some interesting uh, events happen um, and it was an interesting timing in our conversation. So uh, the first thing that happened was we were talking about uh, Paul McKenna and hypnosis and you uh, going to see him. And then I think light, lightning struck there where you are. You actually have a thunder lightning storm, had a thunder lightning storm. And at the same time, we had an issue with the electricity trip. So that was our first break. But I edited that out. And to the uninitiated, you probably you may not pick up the the amateur edit and um, but this then the you disappeared completely mark uh you were gone and um, because there was a power push because literally lightning struck proper absolutely so yes lightning struck and, every, and everything went dark and i only live in a small village in inside you know 20 miles 17 miles from london but um it's not got very good uh 4g or 5g so i then had to leave the village travel the three miles outside of it with my phone desperate to try and get some 4g in my car and i could send you an email to say i'm really sorry yeah i was, I was thinking what's happened because i thought it was me again and i went because i had put it on hotspot and anyway so uh we there's no point even trying to edit that bit out i said to, even because i'm in a different room now i don't know the sound could be different all those kind of things and it's much later in the evening and so I've been drinking since then. Everything yeah. it's going to be so different now. But there we go. What are you going to do? We're going to go with it. And, and, and so it was interesting. So there was two things. I think we were talking about um, 
you know, when we, you when when you disappeared completely, we're in the middle of talking about your trip to Wicklow, where you're yeah. visiting your dad, and he's ridiculously fit, and he's seventy five, and he's just super fit, and. Yeah. And I think that it was in the context of you had been, had you been working in Wicklow or were you? No, I did. I try and go back to see him a few times a year now, okay. you know, because yeah. he's by himself. I think, I think what I was, the context of what I was going to, to say was actually, my dad uh, is, a, is a carpenter or was a carpenter. Um, but he used to, he liked playing music, played the guitar, very talented musician, mm. my father. Uh, um, you know, used to do sessions and in bands and, and all those kind mm-hmm. of things. Um, well, I wouldn't describe him as an extrovert, but certainly, but but very talented. Knew, knew how to perform. Mm-hmm. My mom, very much an extrovert type of character, uh, always cracking jokes, always telling stories, terrible practical joker, you know, always trying to do something. So, and I, and I think... What I was trying to say was or that you would come back about how all these things had coalesced and brought me to this comedy and then performing and then public speaking. Yes. That actually, you know, those two things, those two sides of my parents' personalities, you know, forget all the bad stuff that or all good stuff, you know, but certainly those two things that they had, they brought to the table yeah. Yeah. and enabled me to have the courage to get up on a stage and Mm. Try and tell a joke, or to get up on stage and tell a story to a business audience. I yeah, think that, I, 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 I can really relate to that. Like my dad was, a, my dad was a scientist, um, and he, but he was like a, he had such an incredible mind, you know. Mm-hmm. So he would, and he was a, an incredible communicator, you know, of ideas. So you know, and and in in his last few years, he had got a heavily involved in patient advocacy and things like that, you know. So he was just, wow. really, and my mom then had been a nurse, and so. That, that healing, that sort of care side was there probably. And my dad was a joker as well. Like, you know, he was practical joking, coming up with the most crazy ass jokes. So like, we got all of that from like, so, you know, dad passed away a couple of years ago, but like, you, you, you kind of have that stuff, you know, it comes with you. So I can really relate to how these parts of our parents kind of, when you, you, you bring it together and you go, oh, right, so you became a therapist. Okay. And you like to get up on stage and, do yeah. whatever you know so it's that kind of thing for me and it's in similar for you you know the, the work you do and i think this is the thing i was going to come to was you're not a therapist no yet you bring a sort of wealth of knowledge to the work that would be often utilized by therapists yeah yeah and i think because i had started with hypnosis and nlp they had you know Richard Bandler and, and all those people. Mm. He was he was quite anti therapy. Mm. You know, um, he said, "I mean, I mean, you know, if you've ever seen him live or read one of his books, they he would call a a psychotherapist psycho the rapist, yeah. <laughs> uh, which is you know, which is pretty strong stuff. Uh, and I'm not sure you could probably get away with saying that these days. But anyway, um, so I so I was kind of like oh." You know, your past is your past. You just forget about it and you just carry on. You learn to deal with stuff. So I I, I approached things from a very... So I got interested in CBT and all that stuff because, again, that was much more evidence-based. Yeah. But again... Very, not, practical, very practical, you know. For, well, CBT recognised the childhood influences, but you don't have to look at it. You can change things going forward. 
Absolutely. And much easier, obviously, to talk about, you know, to a corporate audience. If they're going, well, how do we achieve our goals and how do we succeed and how do we do Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if I get up and say, well, tell me about your parents, they would be a bit uncomfortable at, at, at that point. <laughs> So, so your your work, like it's interesting as you're talking. So you're paralleling your your work as in corporate in in the corporate world. There's been a journey and an arc in that work. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, so, so you you know you know you start out with NLP, which is obviously kind of you know anti therapy in that sense, and much more focused on. And then you move into CBT, obviously, which is evidence based. But CBT is very clearly focusing on thought processes how they impact us emotionally you know all that kind of stuff and and you can really and really valuable stuff i've used it myself but then you go you start looking at how the childhood and how uh, things aren't always conscious you know well it was and it was you know so um i've never had uh psychodynamic therapy or anything like that but but I did go through a a, 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 a period where I I had a, a you know midlife crisis. Was mm. probably, so probably in my in my mid thirties, and and it, it was basically um it was, it, it was and I don't mind saying this, you know, people mm. I tell you know, um I we're in our mid thirties, and um my wife and I couldn't conceive couldn't, couldn't conceive a child, couldn't couldn't have children, and that was quite a big. You know, you can imagine. Yeah, I know. I can absolutely relate. I can. Well, I'm, yeah. So, you know, and probably, and funnily enough, probably the biggest impact on my life of everything that's happened, that's happened you know, that has had, had the most impact. But anyway, so, uh, um, was it, got, got depressed and a bit down and, and, yeah. and went to the, the GP and, and um, uh, GP, Prescribe some antidepressants, which mm. I worked in the pharmaceutical industry. So, you know, previous to this, so I knew what antidepressants were. I knew yeah, kind of, yeah. you were kind of familiar with the SSRIs and all that stuff. So, and so I went, okay. And, and he said, would you like some therapy, which is great? It was a six weeks of CBT, mm. half hour sessions, 45 minute sessions. And I was aware that that something wasn't right. I mean, I could go to work, I could I could still present to, you know, to hundreds of people on stage, I could do that stuff, but inside I was churning away all this stuff over my head. Mm. But I didn't want anyone to know I was uh, feeling this way, because, you know, my, my career and my life had been making jokes, telling stories, you know, get on stage and make people laugh and, you know, with some interesting learning points, that's what I do. So um, I, I was trying to cover it up as best as I could but clearly it just it, it wasn't going to work and, and I had my first session with the a girl uh, and I had to drive so I so I thought well I don't want her to think and I don't please don't want her to think I'm mental or mad <laughs> who is so I'm going to put on a suit yeah. so, so I put on a suit like uh, and I drive to this this uh, 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 therapist's um, place which and she was it was in a regus building of all places because obviously you know the, the council hire mm -hmm. so I got out of the car and I probably walked half a mile maybe a mile from the car park to the to this this regus center and it was a you know it was, it was a spring day or something like that and I walked and, and I got there and welcomed me in and everything else and she said to me um 
so how are you doing kind of thing and i said I'm, I'm doing okay you know i've had you know i'm trying to still give the impression that i was fine i was okay um i'm fine you know i've been but, but you know i'm okay because no really how are you doing and as she said it she it, she looked down towards my feet and i followed her gaze and i realized i was wearing my slippers <laughs> well yeah and so i'd spent I'd driven in the car i put a suit on walked yeah you know, but I was where, but but my mind, you know, I wasn't focused in the and the. No, you weren't. You were distracted by a lot of stuff in, like there was a turmoil, an inner turmoil. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, so that was a that was a really that was a that was a really big turn. Yeah. <laughs> you to look at your feet and go, oh yeah, maybe I do need some help here. <laughs> Yeah. How did you find doing the CBT? Did you find the sessions useful? So, so my experience was was relatively positive, hmm. and I think um, I think the reason for that was I took it very seriously. Hmm. The exercises, um, and you know, I was very open with my my wife and. Kirsty, I keep saying my wife, Kirsty. Uh, I was very open with Kirsty about it, and you know, we had to do things like the the worry tree, or where you would you would write down all your worries in the day and, and have a you know worry time, which was another thing with you know fifteen minutes. Because that's what I was doing; I was overthinking. So they'd say, right, you know, yeah. set some time aside. You and, worry the bejesus out of everything. And out of it exactly, and then don't worry about it again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. This is my worry time. I really go for it. Yeah, yeah. And you need Mark, you know, you, you know, what 50 minutes and she was like, no, you're gonna need a bit more, a bit more worry time than that, <laughs> you know. But but so you know, I'd set that for half an hour a day and I, I'd write all my stuff down. And I, I was I was a I was a good student. Yeah, yeah, you did you did you did a good job. Yes. Yeah. So I I think it, it managed to calm down the anxious thoughts and the yeah. the, the yeah. Uh, you know that the negative thoughts and all those things so it, it very helpful but i think you know every time i try, try to explain to that i remember the therapist saying to me you know well you know and i i start to say well you know my wife and i ordered this and they got she'd like well i don't really i don't want to know you know she wouldn't she didn't want to know the content yeah you know and she said i'm more interested in your thinking rather than what's going on and stuff and i was like oh, all right fair enough this is your you know this is this yeah. is what it was but i think i kind of came out of it in a much better place was a good student and found it very helpful but i think what i started to, to to as i came out of that kind of dark place and got off the, the antidepressants and all those things um was you know, I started to make connections in my in my own head about why I was worried about certain things, and you know, my then I, my father and my mother and what they did and how they their family lives and them growing up. You know, I start they start to tell me. You know, they knew I they knew I suffered around. Then my dad sort of said, "Oh well, my mom took the be her bed for a year." Right. You know, going, "Oh, I didn't know this." You know, or 
my mum would tell a story about, you know, her mother and father, you know, or, or whatever it was, and start to see these connections and patterns mm-hmm. that were going on with with my grandparents. Yeah. That my parents had repeated, yeah. you know, to a certain extent. And 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 then I thought, oh crap, I'm doing some of this stuff. Uh which which you know, which I thought was you know, fascinating and terrifying all at the same time. Psychodynamic stuff at that point. Yeah, I mean, it's really interesting, isn't it? Because I think, you you know, I mean, I mean, I think, yeah, just to sort of summarise in a sense, which is what most therapists do, um, but like, you know, on the one hand, the CBT gives you tools to manage the kind of inner chaos of the mind. And I think that's really valuable because sometimes I think when, if we come to therapy and like my anxiety levels are overwhelming, we need to regulate it we need to find ways and cbt is really good at that but then there is a story of your life you know there are emotional experiences there are familial experiences we're not always consciously aware of these patterns but sometimes these things were set in stone a long long time ago and then going through something like you've described with your wife which is a really you know really fucking profoundly challenging thing to come to terms with and all of those things will bring it all up. It's like the past and the present colliding, you know. Yeah. And that was it. And I think that's that's what I realized. And 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 you know, even I'd find myself, you know, what I do is I'd I i I'd get myself all turned up about something. I'd either have a row with my wife or, or not have a row. But I'd got I'd take myself to bed. I'd go to bed. Mm-hmm. I might do that when you row with my mom, you go to bed. And and and, and you know I could see that I'd whether that was a genetic component or, you know, or, whether, or, or sort of a hair or learned or whatever. whatever. Um, yeah. I was repeating this. Yeah. 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 And, and so that's when, when I thought, right, there's something here, there's more stuff going on here than I'm aware of. I need to go and study this stuff in more depth. And, would, would that have led you then to the masters you were saying you did, which was the psychodynamic masters of coaching? So it was a coaching psychology, coaching psychology masters, it was called. Yeah. And it was brilliant because it, it, it combined a number of different elements. You know, we talked about, you know, we had a whole module on leadership and, and et cetera, for example. But we also started to talk about things like, um, uh, we, we started to talk about psych- the psychodynamic world and and you know and at first i was a bit like this is a bit woo woo isn't it this is a bit there's no evidence to suggest that some of this you know what does this work but there was another bit of my brain going yeah but you've seen the patterns that you are repeating consciously and unconsciously you 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 start to make these links you know there, there must be something here um and even down to like personality you know i don't know if you you know the ocean you know openness conscientiousness yeah 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 so the uh the neo the neuro no no the oh is that the, anyway yeah, the neo PR, yeah yes i do i know yeah are the five factor model five of, factor model yeah yeah you know and you know one of the most explored models in probably modern mm-hmm. for the last hundred years um and you know whether you believe in it or not is you know entirely up to you but but just even how much between you know you know you look at various studies and like up to 20 percent from 20 percent to 60 percent you know genetic heritability of 
of those of those from your your family you go oh you know when i start to look at you know how i mean i score very highly on extroversion you know etc et yeah, yeah, yeah. and you see oh my you know why is it and that's the thing when you start to see some of that that hard science and then the psychodynamic stuff you got you, it's the nature nurture debate all the time i mean and this is the thing you're you're you're, you're seeing it and and you know we see it in the therapy room all the time is the nature nurture debate and it's like somebody said well is this because the way i am is this my genetic inheritance or and and in many ways you know we we we, we know that yeah genetics are part of the story and then we also know that all of these experiences you know so it's it's very difficult to yeah. and when you see the twin studies the, the identity yeah. twin studies that's that is the exact that's when you see it really so you know there are studies where you get twins who who have been separated at birth and, and they they have very different lives then, don't they and how that has changed you know one child that grows up in a very chaotic life who who had a tendency for neuroticism let's say has has a much harder time while the other child who had the exact you know identical twins the exact same genetics but grows up in a house where they're you know, more able to help them and deal with that neurotic. Maybe more, more of a secure attachment or whatever. Yeah. That's a similar problem, but copes with it so much more yeah. than the came from the chaotic household or, or whatever. And that's I think that's the bit that captures it. The, the, the problem might still be there, but it's that the, the diathesis stress model they talk about, you know, like you, you might have this potential to develop, say, whatever mental illness or something that might be a, the genetic or the link is there but the environment could be really supportive and and it may never happen you know so it's always that but then with the right stressors possibly if there's if there's a neglect or whatever things can you know so it's very you know, you know so to sort of, sort of put them into one or the other is a, it, it's probably a a, a a fruitless exercise and to see it as a, as a sort of integration really and but and, and that but it was all that stuff where I started to look at all that kind of evidence. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You're, so you're really bringing worlds together. You're, you're integrating like ideas yeah. and fitting them and going, okay, so it can be this and it can be this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, you can. It can be both, and and the sort of coaching started by mistake in in a way because I would I get up on stage for, in a mm. corporate. I do a speech which is called Funny Business. So I would tell her, I tell the story about becoming a stand-up comic, and I would put in some learning about how I, how I, you know, and it was basically uh, CB, the bundle of CBT of how to, you know, how to deal with worries, how to deal with stress, how to be more resilient. So it was all that kind of stuff encapsulating this narrative story of me doing this mm. journey to become a stand-up at the end of the festival, and it's fed me and looked after me for for the last. 13 years um and then what happened was leaders would come to me and say oh could you teach me how to present or how to write a story you know how to present it like you do so i started coaching them uh to do that mm. and um but of course what i began to find was that actually if uh, those people were like me, i.e. they were extrovert, for example, you know, if they, if they were high on openness and extroversion, just, just to use that model, actually teaching people how to give a good presentation 
isn't particularly hard because actually if you're naturally extrovert and you're naturally open to ideas, you know, oh, actually, you can, you can, you know, you can say, right, this is how you structure it. This is how you tell a joke. This is how you, you know, this is the ending. This is a callback. This, you know, when you explain the process and you stand them up and you get them to show where to stand and how to write it. Brilliant. And those people, you know, that I'd coach, and I'm, I'm, I'm saying coaching in a, in a very, because it wasn't really coaching. It was mentoring. It was, it was telling, you know, it wasn't coaching. Um, um, they would be successful and go off. And, but then I, of course, I'd get other leaders or people in an organization who, who, who weren't, uh, who maybe were higher in neuroticism and lower in extroversion, for example. And actually, they didn't, they weren't coming to me to learn how, I mean, they were coming to me to learn how to, to speak in public. But actually, what they were, the reason they were going was they were trying to control their own fears and neuroticisms about speaking. And, 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 and I wasn't, I wasn't trained enough to to see that at the time and it was only going through all that other stuff that i began to go oh there's other stuff on here what, what was coming to my mind as you were talking the word shame was coming to my mind for some reason i was thinking about it like if you if you, you the, the reason i think it's quite psychodynamic would look at shame like you know the idea of shame and if, if somebody's been shamed in, in younger years say in terms of they stood up in front of the classroom and they were shamed and then they're leaders in a company. They've made their way and then they want to do this and they can't. And it's like, unless we go to that place. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think that was the thing. And, and, and you know, I have, you know, I have a story. My niece, uh, funnily enough, you know, she she's a speech and language therapist. Mm-hmm. Her girl works hard. But, you know, I'm, you know, she tells a story about, you know, like she doesn't, doesn't like the idea of public speaking. I mean, she will, and, and but she she tells a story of you know back when she was doing a the end of year, um, uh, uh, you know the, the the Christmas play. She got up and and she fell off the stage, and everyone laughed, you know, and and you know, and she was five years old, and she's still you know she's very articulate woman but 21 year old woman but you know the the, the falling off the stage at, at christmas is uh... and, and it's that thing you know that child part of her still exists in some you know in that memory space and she connects it gets it gets brought into the, you know yeah. suddenly the adult who's competent and able and capable is suddenly in the corner going what's where am i gone yeah where am i gone yeah and, and, and that was it and the past is always present and and so once I re so so I realized I wasn't really coaching, I was mentoring, and that's fine, that's a good place to be. I mean, not not a not a thing, but I but I did start to think, oh, people start as people start to open up to me and reveal these past hurts or issues that they had about public speaking, I thought, oh crap, I'm I'm not qualified enough to deal with this. I don't I, I can bring my own experience, but actually I need to go and do some work here so so it was went back to university and, and then very much realized I hadn't been coaching I had been mentoring uh you know I'd come from a place of expertise and was giving my expertise to a person and coaching is quite different then isn't it coaching reminds me of a kind of almost like a humanistic psychotherapist who's utilizing the relationship to to facilitate an unfolding rather than directing is that Beautifully, I mean, much more beautifully put than I would could could ever put it. But yeah, I mean, it's a it's a co collaborative space, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. Providing answers in in some respects, it's yeah. going 
know, the, the, the classic example is someone would say to me, well, what would you do here? And, 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 you know, in my mentor role, I'd go, well, I would do this, 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 yeah, and this. Yeah, yeah. Coach me, I'd go, well, what do you think you should do? Or what, mm -hmm. what yeah. you could explore and let them. You're really facilitating an unfolding of their capacity and their capability. Whereas the mentoring is very much like, this is what you do. And then do it like, you know, so it's kind of, Whereas you, so that's what you were was a mentor as such, but you developed into this coach. You really, you learned that you learned the craft partially from training, but also from your own experiences of ah, what's happening here. And just, and so like we did, um, uh, it's not, uh, what's the name? Of the, I can't remember, but you know, but that, and that through that process of, of learning to coach. And, you know, there was a, uh, it was at Birkbeck yeah, university in London. Um, Susan Kahn was the, the the course director and you know she was very much into psychodynamic thinking and, and you know and I was uh, I, she said something and cracked a joke uh, about something she said and she just kind of you know we were on we were we were on zoom at the time and I remember her saying like she said of course you know sometimes people use humor as a defense mechanism for their pain and kind of just didn't say, you know, just said that, you know. And, yeah, you know, I'm sitting in this room that I'm sitting in here right now, and I'm thinking, oh, I've been I've been tagged. Uh, yeah, I've been caught out. I've been caught out. It's, it's annoying when that happens, and you're kind of going, oh, because they, when they've said it, they've spoken to something in you, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're suddenly going, I hear, you know, because you already know in a way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was the thing I I, I did know. But, it, but you know, yeah, no, I know. Because, listen, it's, oh, you know, I mean, I, mean, I, I, te I teach a lot, you know, and humor, humor saves me all the time, you know, like going in and cracking jokes and making put people at ease. But I always would say to people, I say, look, this is the way I work because I am quite an anxious person. So humor really helps me hold that anxiety, you know. So. And, and so. And certainly I have used humor as a defense mechanism throughout my life, you know. And, and, and quite frankly, you know, I think a lot of comedians, you hide their pain through, through humor, you know. It's, like... it's the classic depressive clown, isn't it? It's the, you know, I mean, I, I think that an awful lot of the, the most amazing comedians that I've, I've ever followed and loved have had is... A, a darkness or a depth to a depth to them that isn't just like oh you know that there's a real there's yeah. something there's a deeper space looking, looking for a connection looking for i mean you know maybe i mean okay look possibly some anyone who wants to go up on stage and tell jokes probably has to have a little bit of narcissism in them but, <laughs> but the the but i think a lot of it comes from certainly you know looking back on my experience of being the other of yeah. of to a school of strangers and having to try and not only physically defend myself but also intellectually defend myself in that environment i was going to say humor then can be a way it's a survival as well like because if you if you can if you can crack jokes if you can make the hard uh, when i was in school it was the hards and the nerds right it was the hards and those nerds and i didn't really fit it i certainly wasn't a hard but I, I wasn't really very good at being a nerd either like i didn't fit anywhere so i was kind of I I managed to just chat with every, you know get get on with everyone and kind of have a few jokes and have a laugh and you you know and and so there was something about that notion of learning you're learning communication skills you're learning ways of you know 
managing people in different yeah. ways through humor. Um, and that's and that had been the way I had done things, you know, from throughout my my career. And and then it went on the Koji and Susan, you know, who's into this psychodynamic stuff, started to talk about it and and you know, and and it spoke to me and it scared me, you know, at once, you know, because I was like crappy, you know, gotta admit that actually the family patterns and things that I began to Yeah. So I, I went down that that you know, deep dive and, you know, I've got, and you can't see it, but I've got like a hundred books over here. I've got hundreds of books in the Kindle, you know, where you start to go and explore and read these. And then you start to look at the, at the, at the, you know, relate, you know, relational coaching and, yeah, yeah. and systemic coaching about how, how, how systems make you behave, you know, and, and, and all that stuff started to kind of come in. And then I did a course at the Tavistock, which is a very famous, yeah, very famous psychodynamic, psychoanalytical place, wasn't it? Wasn't it? Um, very well, yeah. You know, and that Freud, they, I don't know, then Freud just involved in it. Yeah. Freud is Freud is right outside that building, you know. He's, yeah, he's yeah, yeah. Yeah. uh five minutes away, which is a lovely place to go and visit. But um and I don't believe everything that Freud said. You know, I you know, I'm not I'm not a you know, I would very rarely say to people, Oh, let's talk about your dreams or anything like that. You know, I'm not you know, I take what I think works and what's appropriate for a for a business person, for a business coach. Mm -hmm. But but I think that kind of psychodynamic and systemic bit. So the the PRO model, which is the the person, role, and organization model, which which Tavistock really talk about, and the mm -hmm. person, you, your experiences with your first team, your family, your life experiences yeah. that affect your work. Your role, how does your your roles that you have affect your work? And your roles can be your job title, but it also could be the other roles you have in a in a team, you know, the person that's, you know, I was always the joker, you know, I'm the joker. So that's that's a role I have played in teams. Or I'm I've played the role of the the person that always asks the difficult question. Mm. You know, I would and I'd go, why, why are we doing that? Or, you know, I would all and I and people would say to me, you know, so funny, there were other coaches on our course. And when we all got our our MSCs, my wife was out there at the 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 that you know the ceremony. And um two girls, apropos of nothing, you know, who were on the course, two women, sorry, came up and said to Kirsty, um, oh, we we love Mark. Um, you know, and one of them said, We love Mark, one of them, said, he's so disruptive. Was was one thing, and she meant it as a compliment. Uh, and then another woman said to me, uh, said to Kirsty, uh, "Oh, you know, Mark's great. He always says the things that 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 we were afraid to say." And I suddenly realised, you know, as I going through this process, God, I played roles in teams. I played roles in an organisation. I would always ask the difficult question, which is great if you're a consultant or a coach. Not so great if you're just a standard employee. You know, that doesn't. You know, I was, I was annoying to you know someone had to manage me. Quite quite difficult. Um, so you have a role and you have your home roles and, you know, does that get into conflict? You know, certainly, you know, if you're trying to look after children and you're trying to do a job, does that play into it? And then you've got the organizational dynamics, which is you know, all the history of the organization, the ways they did things, the trauma of people being made redundant, the trauma of bosses leaving, of bosses being difficult. Absolutely. Of yeah. 
you know, the, the jealousies, you know, we talk about psychological safety and work, yet we put people in competition every year. Mm -hmm. How can you be psychologically safe when you're? I, I, I remember doing. I remember doing work in kind of resilience work. You know, the idea is let's let's make people. We let's look at their. You know, what, what is resilience? Like, you know, bounce back from adversity, all this kind of stuff, and thriving. But one of the things that came up was like, like if the organization is sick, right? Say the organization isn't supporting its. If it's in a, if it's if in, in a corporate world, it's not supporting its employees. It's all about push, push, competition, competition, and yet we want people to be resilient to have less sick days. How how does that work? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, so unless we're kind of willing at an organizational, you know, so that's why when you work with organizations and with leaders and with you, you're working on those three things and getting them to think psychologically about their organization or about their role or about their first team, you know, their personhood. How they communicate, how do they deal with yeah. frustrations and it's it's, uh, it's like it sounds, I mean, I, apart from I mean, it just sounds really, I think the way you talk about it, in a sense, has given me a very different understanding of what coaching is, in a way. You know, I think what I would have had is more of a blinkered, probably a bit like, um, and we talked about this a bit before, um, we, um, last week, <laughs> earlier on today, and we talked about, like, I was going to say in our first episode, we talked about, and we talked about, um, you know, life coaching, say, versus coaching. This is different. This isn't, yeah. this isn't, you know, this is a kind of, to me, what you're talking about is a much deeper process, but yet it's not psychotherapy. It's not like sitting down doing that kind of stuff, but yet it's using those relational ideas to really allow something to emerge and to really help an organization or, or people in the organization thrive. Yeah. And, it, and look, there's a tension there because, you know, I come from a very, goal orientated background you know better pound become a stand-up comic did a one-man show did 365 daily videos yeah yeah i remember i know i'm used to you know i'm used to setting a goal and going for it and 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 achieving that goal but at what cost to your own yeah mental health relationships um all the other things that that maybe you know but uh, one of our other choosers used to say, um, you know, hold your goals lightly. And I thought oh, that was a beautiful. Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? Hold you know, your goals lightly, yeah. And, and, and certainly, that, and that's the tension. You know, you've got people who come to me go, I want to become a better speaker or I need to, need to make the team work better or I've just been promoted or, or um, I want to get promoted or um, I'm struggling with this element of the job and, and delivery let's say or whatever it might be so i have to i have to hold the fact of going okay so let's let's hold these goals lightly but we have to have them because that's you know that's going to be the marker of our success for the coaching mm. at the same time then get them to explore their relationships and how they behave and how other people relate to them and how they behave and maybe you know, why isn't someone such and such doing the thing I'm asking them? Well, you know, if you're a, if you're, if you're a, a part of what's going on in your past and your childhood, what's going on there? Are they secretly jealous? Are they secretly, you know, upset? Are they, what's the power and politics and dynamics going on there? And it's really interesting because it really deeps it. And it's that idea of like, what's my role in this dance here? You know, like how am I contributing and how are they contributing? Because I can't, like, I can't blame them for the whole problem of the dance. 
but then I can't blame myself for the whole problem. So what's happening? Exactly. I, I, I think someone once said to me, uh, 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 I think it was another therapist said about, uh, it was describing a, 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 not a therapist, another coach describing a, a, a client saying, saying, I know, you know, you know, working for 30s, I know all my bosses can't have been arseholes. <laughs> no, you know, that's statistically, I know all my bosses can't have been arseholes. And you know, that's, you know, that sums it up so beautifully, doesn't it? You know? <laughs> Do you know what reminds me? There was a TV show. I get my best training from TV shows, but no, no. I was watching some TV show just when when Noah was very when he was like very small and I could watch stuff back then. Um, and it was it was about a fire station or something like that. But they brought in some psychologists to deal with the trauma of the job and lot and all this kind of stuff. And she said there was a line she was using, and obviously this is a fictionalized TV show, but there was a line. It was um, hysterical, historical, and she it was that, and I thought it was great because it was that idea that. If I'm having this really strong reaction that all my bosses are assholes and this, that, and the other, and the other, there may be a historical piece to this that I might need to look at. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And 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 so that's and that's it. You know, I think the past is always present. Um, yeah. And I think it's the Jahari window about not being aware of some of this stuff. Just you know, and and, and me as a coach, it's not to solve it. You know, and I have a big drive to solve things. I really, you know. <laughs> I know that feeling as well, and uh. solve the problem, you know. But as a coach, what I try and do is sometimes I'll do some mentoring. If someone like needs a bit of speaker coaching and they need some direct advice, I can say, "Stand there and give me your five minutes," and yeah. then I and go right. That's working brilliantly. That's not working so well. You need to work on that. So you can do that bit. But the other bit of the coaching is is if they're scared of speaking or they're they're worried about what their bosses think of them or or whatever it might be. You know, I'm speaking. I'm just using speaking as one option. It's not always. You know, then we can talk about all those other things about their teams and how they work with people and what other people are like and what their demands are and how the system is putting pressure on them to behave in a certain way. And maybe, maybe, you know, so, you know, I I, I know lawyers and, and health and safety people sometimes have a terrible time at work because they have to say no all the time. And people get annoyed with them because they're saying no. And they're like, well, I'm not saying no because I want to be awkward. I'm saying no because of the legal ramifications of the thing we're about you or about you want me to do. Um, we cannot, you know, we cannot get rid of all the fire doors. You know, you know, it's 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 that. And so sometimes the role brings you into conflict with people, you know, and you don't want to be in conflict. You know, maybe you're you're you know you're a high high in agreeableness. You want to be in in conflict with people and you had terrible conflicts as a child and you try and avoid conflict but the role puts you in that position of conflict and then this and then the organization looks at you in a certain way and makes you behave a certain way that you might not even be consciously aware of is it, so isn't that amazing so you're going to have like so just even just to take that as a like when i think of that and i think of a, a sort of i'm really stressed at work i can't sleep at night i can't deal with this but blah 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 and I don't know why. And I go to the doctor and it's like, oh, you're, you're stressed. Here's some medication. But then, which is, we can really help me and that's fine. But then I start to maybe go to you and I start to break these things down and I go, oh, God, oh, look at this now. Hold on a second. This reminds me, oh, right, my dad or my mom or school or there was a teacher that used to blah, blah, blah. Oh, right. And I have to do, and I don't, I hate conflict. And then blah, blah. Yeah. It, it's a deeper and then I have more of a choice I can start to figure out okay maybe there's a different way of approaching this 
exactly that. It's just raising the awareness. Yeah, yeah. Saying you now have a choice. I mean, look, yes, it might be your default thinking to, to do to behave in a certain way, you know, but, but if you're if you can catch yourself. Yeah, it's it, that's often what it is. It's okay. Oh wait, now this is this is me as a three-year-old or a five-year-old here. So let's just see if we can bring some adult thinking online here and see if we can get a different way or something. Well, I've always done, you know, I'm always the one to ask the difficult question in the room. Maybe, maybe I won't do that now. I've got a question, but maybe I'll either figure out a way to ask it in a way that isn't aggressive and feels mm-hmm. negative and taking the mickey out of the person. Maybe can I can I can I ask that question in a more helpful, fruitful way? You know, is one option. Or option two, maybe is maybe I'm not going to ask the question and maybe the answer will appear as we go along, you know, uh, or maybe someone else will ask the question. And just knowing that you can you can relate in a different way, that you don't have to follow the same way of doing things that you've always done unconsciously. You can, you can put some conscious choice on it. Brilliant. I, I just, I, I could talk, I mean, I could talk to you with this stuff for hours, to be honest. I am absolutely fascinated. Um, I'm conscious of time and it's, I'm suddenly going, right, we do need to, you know, put some container on this, but I'm, and then just as a side, the corporate work that you do, the corporate speaking, that's a different, that's, that's talking to a big room. Like that's where you would go in and do big room yeah. stuff. But all of that stuff feeds into the coaching that's work. Say, and vice versa, doesn't it? And the coaching has certainly informed that as well. Has it? You know. So, so, so you, you have a situation where I, I speak, they know I'm a coaching psychologist as part of, you know, when they introduce me and then people will come up to me afterwards and say, Oh, I've got, I've got a goal this year or I'm struggling with such and such, or, you know, could you help? And, and you go, okay, this is, you know, I offer. So you, you, you're, you're kind of doing that there, like yeah. when you do that on site, like when you're at a big event or. So, so sometimes that, you know, they will, people will, will then hire me as a coach. Yeah. At, and then you like do some work after with them. Yeah. And then even, now is it but as a but as even as a speaker you know i used to do a very rigid speech like a like a common comedian i had five thousand words written uh and i knew them out perfect and i knew the jokes and it was rehearsed and it was a one-man play but you know like last week i was working with a bank and we were talking about storytelling and you know we spent you know a number of sessions before i got on stage and told those things of of co-collaborating co-creating yes i person on stage but we we open with them beforehand before you got up on stage and say let's see what we're going to do spent we spent a few you know a few hours tracing what would be meaningful to the to the audience and the story that would be meaningful to them and then we created the workshop around that and and it just therefore means that when they you know when we had this workshop they they you know it was it was relevant and had meaning and purpose to the arts, which you know, which is what you're trying to do in the coaching as well, create relevance and meaning to the meaning that this and, and this is useful to the individual or to the group or to the organization or to the to, uh, to the audience. That it isn't just me going up with that fixed rigid speech. This is what I do. Now you've become more flexible in your approach and work and collaborate to develop something that you're listening to your stakeholders. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it sounds amazing. I, I, I'm really interested. I'm fascinated. Again, I could talk to you 
for hours on this stuff. Um, I, I really enjoy talking to you, Mark. I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed today. And and like the fact that we could make it happen this evening, you know, <laughs> I, you know, because there was a, there was a part of me when, when the lightning struck, I was like, the gods are not pleased. The no. gods are not pleased. You know, we, 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 we slandered something or somebody or we need, you know, I don't know. But um, uh, but no, I, I, it's been great. And um, yeah, I, I you know, who knows? I may contact you in a professional class to say, teach me to do something. But uh, oh, very sweet of you. Thank you. Well, I've loved it, too. It's been a really look. I love this stuff, too. I, I think people are endlessly fascinated. I, I think I think I love, you know, that. I suppose for me, in a sense, the idea of conversation and being able to connect to somebody and to meet them is always what I want to do with this podcast. And it becomes much easier when when you've got guests who are just so interested and engaging and open to connecting. And and, and that's what I've really got from you today. So, um, yeah, I again, and I have no doubt when people are listening that, you know, th this is a hard conversation for me to end, you know. <laughs> Um, thank you so much for being a guest uh, you're an absolute gentleman I, I really really enjoyed speaking to you um, good time as well you've, you've made it very you've, you've put me very much at ease oh well listen uh, yeah, yeah well you put me at ease too so uh, it's been great um, it's been brilliant so uh, to everybody else uh, thank you for listening I'll talk to you all next time and so bye everybody Thank you.